Hebrews chapter 4. We've been kind of uh, in a miniature series that I've really actually come to enjoy and probably going to stick with it for a little while, but uh, what we've been uh, doing is looking at some acrostics, and, and an acrostic is something that's there to help you remember a specific truth, um, and it was something I learned to do in school, and, and we've been uh, doing these for the last several weeks, and we're using acrostics to help us remember or learn and remember um, some, some incredible theological truths that are really good for us to know. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we started this, we looked at the touch of God and how the touch of God is a transforming touch, an ordaining touch, uh, a unifying touch. We, we looked at all of that uh, a few weeks back. And then last week, uh, we moved in uh, to the topic of prayer, and we had an acrostic, uh, the word pray, and it talked about some different aspects of powerful prayer, and uh, we, we, we looked at some of that, and if you weren't here and like to catch up, those are all uh, online. I think pray uh, is not quite online yet, but it will be, uh, because I was going to children's camp, so it'll be there here uh, pretty quick. Um, uh, so we've had that, and then this week, uh, we're going to move uh, to a different uh, topic, and that is the topic of God's Word. And, and how powerful God's Word really is, or the power of God's Word. Now, I have met several people in my lifetime that I consider very strong individuals, physically strong, with, with lots of different um, uh, physical strength. But the, the strongest person that I've ever met in person was a, a young man uh, that played football with me at East Central, and his name was Gene Harlan. Uh, Gene Harlan come uh, from the state of Texas. Uh, he was one of our offensive tackles, and uh, he was about six foot three, and he weighed about 285 pounds. Pretty good fella, size fella. He had no fat on him at all, um, and and he really, as a child, had dreamt to play for the University of Texas, and um, that's what his goal was. And he didn't get that opportunity. They told him he was about three inches too short. And so he couldn't go Division One because he wasn't tall enough. Uh, but he definitely had the other ability. He ends up being a two-time All-American at East Central. Uh, but while we were there, he was one of our offensive tackles. And, and he was uh, incredibly strong. I mean, to put this in perspective, his bench press was over 500 pounds. And he could squat over 700 pounds. That's a lot of weight. That's an awful lot of weight. And, and working out in the weight room, and where, particularly when I came in, I was behind uh, when it came to the weight room because I never really enjoyed that in, in high school. And, and so I was a little behind, so I never worked out with him. But just watching him move the amount of weight that he was moving was always just really impressive. But to see that power is completely different than to experience that power. And so one of the first days we put on pads, we were out and we were doing a lineman drill. It was just, it's just called a, a first step drill. It's all it is. You take one step, you pop your hands into the chest of, of the opposing guy. There's no driving your feet, no nothing. Just one step and, and pow, that's all you do. And I, just the way the line worked, I ended up being on the other side of this young man named Gene Harlan. And at that time, I weighed about 265, 270 pounds, so it wasn't like I was tiny. Um, and I got ready, and they, said, they blew the whistle, and he took one step, and when he hit me just this much, 
it knocked me five yards back and onto my tail. Okay, and so all of a sudden that that experience of seeing him lift weights actually finally become uh, viable. I actually began to experience what our opponents got to experience when they went against him. Because to see it, see him moving weight was one thing, but to experience that power was something else. And all of a sudden the weight room started to become a friend of mine. Because I realized that if you're going to play at this level, you better get yourself in the weight room. And, and he just had, because of his power, he had a unique, a unique ability to move people around and have a very large impact on the game of football. This morning, I want us to look at something else that's even more powerful than the most powerful person in the world. Uh, more powerful that is not just going to move you five yards back and onto your tail, but it'll actually move you to the ends of the earth with a message that the lost world would say you're crazy to do. And that is when you and I encounter the power of the word of God, because God's word is powerful. And the reason why I want us to look at this this morning is because I believe what we have going on in our culture today and in many of our churches is that we have lost the power of the word of God. We try to make our churches uh, dynamic, and we try to make them seeker-sensitive, and we try to do all the stuff to bring people in, but nothing we can do is ever going to be as powerful as what the Word of God does when it touches the hearts of people. And, and so this morning, I want us to examine this power and how powerful and some different types of power the word of God has, because again, it, it, it's what I see and what I fear is that we have a lot of people that are impressed by the power of the word, but they haven't been impacted by the power of the word. Just like I was impressed by Gene Harlan's power, but until it impacted me, I didn't really comprehend it. And I think a lot of us are in the same way. We may be impressed with what the word of God says, but until it has an impact on us, we don't truly comprehend how powerful it is. And so the, we're going to look at this this morning. We're going to start in Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's Word this morning. And we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, and we're just going to look at two different verses, and then we're going to work our way through this acrostic, looking at some other scriptures. But listen to what the Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 12. It says, for the word of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from him, but all things are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word, and not just this text that we've just read, but all the scriptures that we're going to read this morning, and that, Father, you would use them to really impress upon us this morning how powerful your word really is, and that, Father, that you would use your word to, to just do a dynamic work in our hearts and our lives today, that we wouldn't just be impressed with what your word says, but we would be impacted by what your word says, that we would truly experience it and understand the power that it has and then to grasp that power and allow it to transform our lives every day. Father, we pray that your spirit would move in this midst, and, and we pray that we would respond. Hey, you lead us to respond is our prayer in Christ's name. 
Amen. You may be seated. So what I've done is, is, to, is to show us some different types of the power of God's Word. I've created an acrostic for the word power, and each, each letter is going to give us a different aspect of the power uh, of God's Word. Now, there are more. There's definitely more aspects, but I've tried to sum up as many of them as I can into these uh, five different letters and try to give you understanding about them. And so the first aspect of the power of God's word is that it has penetrating power. And that's what we just read in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. It says that the word of God is alive and it is sharper than any two-edged sword and it penetrates the hearts of man. So the word of God is a penetrating power. It has a penetrating power. Now how does it penetrate people. Well, number one, it's the Word of God that penetrates the hearts of sinners and shows them their need for a Savior. In, until people encounter the Word of God, they have no understanding of their need for a Savior. Because it's only through the Word of God that you find the testimony that there is a God, that He is a righteous God, that He has a righteous standard, that you and I don't meet that righteous standard, and there's no way you and I could ever reach that righteous standard. And so He did something for us no one else could do, and that is He became flesh by becoming a man and, and did for us what we couldn't do by living according to that righteous standard that you and I couldn't live up to, he did in perfection and then willingly gave his life for you and I that if we would repent of our sin and place our faith in him, then that righteousness that he had can be applied to us and in God's eyes we become righteous ourselves. All of those things that I just gave you are from the word of God. We don't just create those out of air. It is the word of God that penetrates that. And so people have to have an understanding of the Word of God. And I pray that our church, and not just our church, but all churches, would never forget that it's the Word of God that penetrates the hearts of sinners. You see, we can try lots of other methods to reach them, but until the Word of God penetrates their heart, they're never going to become a saved believer in Christ because it's the Word of God that penetrates the hearts and the lives of people. As a matter of fact, uh, we're told that, uh, listen to how we're saved. We, we know from Ephesians 2, it tells us very clearly in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, that it is uh, by grace through faith that we are saved, not by works, lest any man should boast. Now, have you heard that scripture before? Okay, so we're saved by grace through faith, not by works. But listen to what Paul said earlier in the book of Romans about where faith comes from. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Okay, and so we can't ever leave the word of God to take the gospel to the world. Hey, I, there are so many churches out there today, and so many believers that want to leave the word of God behind, and then take something and try to impact the world around them but you can't impact the world ar around you without the word of god because it's the word that impacts them it's like going into a dark room with no light how are you really going to help someone in dark when you have no light to help them with well the word of god according to the book of psalms is the light right 
It is a light into our path. And so when we storm out into the darkness, you don't want to leave the light behind. You want to take the light with you so you can see where you're going. And you can navigate and you can help people bring them back in. And so that all falls into that category of the penetrating power of God. It is through the word of God that people have come to an understanding of their need for a savior. And faith is literally given to them by hearing the word of God. And so the word of God has penetrating power to the hearts of sinners. But it also has penetrating power to the hearts of his people, which is us, his children. The word of God will continually penetrate our heart when we spend time in it. it, it is, it's a, a penetration that gives us comfort when we need it. When we're scared or when we're, we're uncertain or we, we lack encouragement or, or any of those things that we want to talk about, it's the Word of God that can penetrate our hearts and bring us what we need in our time of need. How many of you have ever just been in significant time of need and opened up the Word of God and began to read it and God used His Word to comfort you or to encourage you, right? Or to help you out in that situation. I, I know that's happened to me. And, and it penetrates my heart and it does those things. So it brings, it penetrates our hearts. It brings comfort and trust uh, to us. And, and listen what Psalms 119, 165 says about that. It says, those who love your law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. So the word of God gives us peace. It provides us comfort. It provides us correction and, 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 um, uh, and helps us to understand the stumbling things that are in front of us that causing us to stumble. It prepares us and equips us for service. And we're going to talk about both those two things a little bit more in depth as we go. But it is the word of God that penetrates our hearts and gives us what we need at our time of need. I cannot count how many times in my ministry, whether or not it was with youth or with adults, where there was a struggle that someone was taking place and they'd come to me and say, Brother Dwayne, can you pray for me? I'm struggling. And by the way, I love it when you come to me and say, can you pray for me? Because I want the opportunity to pray for you. But one of the first questions I always ask is, are you reading your word and are you praying? Every now and then I get praying. Some, some will go, yeah, I'm praying. But when I say, are you reading the word of God? Many of them would go, no. Listen, you, you're not going to be able to find the comforting touch and the penetration of God's comfort in your heart if you're not in his word. You need to be in it. And he'll comfort you. He'll, he'll, he'll encourage you through his word. He does those things through us because it's a penetrating power. Number two, not only does the word of God have penetrating power, but it has overcoming power. It has overcoming power. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, you can read that later on your own, you'll find uh, one of the stories of Jesus when he's in the wilderness being tempted. And when Jesus is being tempted, he was tempted in the wilderness, we know, for 40 days and 40 nights. And while he's being tempted for 40 days and 40 nights, he overcame the, that temptation through the power of God's word. And how do I know that? Because every time he was tempted, he responded with scripture. He didn't just respond with some thought, some random idea, or some philosopher's idea, or some... Uh, ancient philosopher or author or whatever you want to fill in the blank that they had back in that day, if they had them. That's what we do, though. We quote philosophers and authors and people that should know because of who they are. But Jesus, when he was tempted, he just quoted scripture. 
because he happened to know what some of us forgot, and that is that God knows more than anyone else. And God's more powerful than anyone else, including our adversary who's tempting us. And so it has overcoming power, and it helps us when we are in our time of need. We've we got to get to this point where we understand that the Word of God has overcoming power so that we will depend on God's Word to overcome an onslaught that the enemy brings towards us, that we could be like Paul when, when we go through those times, that we could be like Paul was in Romans 8, verse 37, when he says that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That instead of letting our circumstances and the temptations and the things that the enemy's throwing at us, instead of letting that beat us to the ground, that we could actually be overcomers through the power of God's word. Uh, in 2009, uh, February of 2009, the Lord had led me uh, to be uh, in view of a call at First Baptist Church in Lone Grove. Uh, and I was their music and youth pastor. That's not real common, by the way, for someone to transition into the pastorate in a church they're already serving in. That's not real common. It does happen, but it's not common. And um, throughout that process of, of doing that, I became very convinced that, that that was what God was wanting me to do. But I also noticed that as we were going through that process, there seemed to be some pretty significant um, resistance to that. Now, I, I was confident, my wife was confident, that this is what God's called us to do. The committee was confident that this is what God had called us to do, but there were some church members, and they're the ones that decide. They weren't sure. And I started to hear people say some things, and some things came back to me through different people in the committee because they went out and they were talking to the church and kind of getting this idea because it's different when you're already there on staff. And so they're talking to people, and they're getting this. And it was pretty clear that there was, there was some resistance. There were some people that just weren't quite sure. And I could go on and on about this situation, but basically it boiled down to when we, we went in that day, the Sunday they voted, which was the Sunday after that tornado that killed eight people. Um, they voted, and I met the percentage that the church required, um, but it wasn't as high as I thought it should have been. And so now I'm not sure. It's like, what, what, what do I do? And I told the committee I... I, that I would accept the call and two of the committee members that come to tell me the vote said it's a good thing because if you had turned it down we'd have resigned because they were so sure this is what God wanted and so I told them I would accept it we accepted but I went home and I was still really concerned about whether or not I made the right decision whether or not it was truly what God was wanting to do and as I was laying there, matter of fact, we were just laying in the bed. The kids went to sleep, and Jenna was taking a nap, and I was trying to take a nap because it's been a long week with the tornado and everything. And I couldn't sleep, and I found myself reading in the Old Testament. I want to read to you what I read. The first thing I turned to was the book of Jeremiah. I want to, I want to just, just hear the first thing I read. It's in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. It says, The word of the Lord came to me. I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. But I protested, Oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I'm only a youth. By the way, I was young. Then the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a youth, for I will go to everyone, or for you will go to everyone I send you, and you will speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. 
And then I continued to read. And then I got over to verse 17, and it said this. Now, get ready, stand up, and tell them everything that I've commanded you. Do not be intimidated by them, or I will cause you to cower before them. Today, I am the one who made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the population. They will fight against you, but they will never prevail over you, since I am with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. And when I read that, I was sure that I made the right choice. And if you were to ask the majority of the people in our church to the, today if it was the right choice, they would, have said, they would tell you yes. Not because of who I am, not because I'm some special person, but because that was the God's will. And I was this close to almost changing my mind that afternoon. But the word of God gave me overcoming power. And I'm so thankful for it. Because there's been other times in my ministry where I desperately needed something. And God, through his word, gave me what I need to give me the overcoming power I needed to get me through whatever situation I was in. But listen, you only get overcoming power through the word of God. If you're not in it, you will lack the overcoming power that it has for your life. All right, so it has penetrating power. It has overcoming power. The third thing is, is it has wisdom giving power. The word of God has wisdom giving power. Now, I believe one of the things that a lot of us, and I say us because I'll include myself in that from time to time, think one of the things that a lot of believers lack today is wisdom. We lack wisdom. And I don't think it's because God doesn't want to give us wisdom. I really honestly think it's because we don't utilize the words of wisdom that he's given us in his word. So many believers today have been so entangled by the world, and it has cost them lots of things, whether or not it cost them their family, a relationship, their money, their integrity, maybe their witness, or, or whatever. A lot of times, that stuff happens simply from not heeding God's word, which gives us wisdom. Not heeding the words of God. We, we're so bad about saying, well, it's, you know, it's, God don't want me to have any fun. It's always do this and do this and don't do that and don't do that. Have you ever stopped to think that God's words and that are an umbrella of protection for you? When he says, don't do this, he's got your best interest at heart. When he says, do this, he still has your best interest at heart because he knows more than you do. I know that's hard for some of us to comprehend, but he actually does know more than we do. And so the word of God is full of wisdom, but we don't, we don't get in it. We don't understand it. We, we have no comprehension of it. Um, listen to a few things that the word of God tells us. That If you'll get in it, this is some things it'll tell you. The word of God will tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. The word of God tells you how to run your family. The word of God tells you how to be a good husband. The word of God tells you how to be a good wife. The Word of God tells you how to be a good a father and a good mother. The Word of God tells you how to be a good child. The Word of God tells you how to be a good citizen. Yeah, it actually it does when he says obey the law of the land. That's part of being a good citizen. You know, people want to get... Never mind. Anyway, <clears throat> we'll just stop right there. But it, it tells us how to run our finances. It, it, it clearly tells us 
how to operate in, in when it comes to finance. So many of Christians today are in financial turmoil simply because they don't know what God's word says about finance. Listen, guys, you, you will hear this. People will say the money's the root of all evil. That's not what the Bible says. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not money itself. Money has never been a bad thing. God uses money. We, God uses money in this church. How do you think we keep the electric bill paid and keep the air conditioner working and do the ministries that we do and take kids to camp and all of those things come through finance. Finance has never been a bad thing, but when you love it too much, it becomes a bad thing and it's the root cause of all kinds of evil. And, and, but the Word of God tells us how to operate in our finances, not only for our personal families. It tells us how to, things to invest in. tells us things to stay away from, like get-rich-quick get schemes. tells us to stay away from that. There, there's so much that it tells us to do when it comes to finance, but we, we don't even comprehend it because we don't read it, and then we find ourselves in turmoil over it. But it's, this isn't a message on finance. I'm just giving you that as an example. It, it tells us... The friends that we ought to have. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying being friendly. We are to be friendly and cordial to everyone. But when it comes to who we're hanging out with and who we're letting invest in us as we invest in them, it tells us who we should and should not be with. If you're single, it tells you some qualities of someone to look for and a mate. Basically, people you ought to consider dating and people you definitely should not consider dating. The Word of God tells us so much of this, and yet we don't utilize it enough. But in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks a little bit about his words. He had just finished preaching his greatest sermon, what we consider his greatest sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And he's went through all kinds of different things. And listen what he says at the very end. He says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house. And yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. And the word of God tells us that his word is a solid foundation. We just sang how firm a foundation right before I got up here to preach. Song's got some great truths to it. The word of God, the words of Jesus are solid words that we can build on. But he gives us two requirements. Number one, to have the wisdom that he wants to give you. Number one, you got to hear it. And you can't hear the word if you're not in the word. And number two, you have to act on it. You see, a lot of us are really good about hearing. It's the acting out part that, that, that we draw the line at sometimes. You want me to do what? Do you have any idea what people are going to say about me if I do that or if I say that? Uh, let, let me tell you, I've, I, I'm odd. I, I know you all know that, but let me explain. Um, I'm, I'll be 40 years old this summer, okay? I know, Ivan, that's old. And, and finally get to, I may be actually starting to be considered an adult by some when I turn 40. I don't know. But anyway, um, I'll be 40 this summer, but, but a lot of my ideals haven't changed since I was in my 20s. And so when I was in my 20s, I would often say when I was around other 20 years old, it was like I'm a 50 or 60-year-old trapped in a 20-year-old body because my ideals are definitely not progressive like some are. In particular, not progressive when it comes to reaching people. That's not it. But progressive in my traditional core values. 
And I've sat and listened to conversations where it was like, if I tell them what I think, I'll never be invited back over to this house. I'll never be invited to another birthday party. I'll never be invited to this, this, and this. I've been there. I know what it's like to have different ideals, but we have to get to a point where we're willing to act out what we believe and what we've heard and not be afraid to say that. There's a reason why I don't do these things. There's a reason why we don't do this, because this is what God's Word says, and I'd rather be obedient to it than obedient to the world because I think God knows better than the world does, and I would be willing to say that my wife and I have been extremely blessed, not just financially, but just in every other way in our family because our values line up with God's word. Now, does that mean my wife and I are perfect? I'm not trying to say that at all. I'm just saying we've tried to the best of our ability to follow God's word, okay? And so you have to hear it, but then you have to act on it if you want that wisdom that God wants to give you. We had a young couple that came to us. We were young too, but they were younger come to us and they were having lots of financial difficulty and they were in the ministry and they come and they sat at our house and we started to tell them about some things we did financially some ways to kind of help them and, and I thought they were grasping it I really did they left and two two three days later maybe a week later we found out they bought went out and bought a brand new car and I was like are you are you kidding like we just showed you from God's word where there's wise decisions and unwise decisions. And in your stage, that's an unwise decision. And it's so you can hear it, but until you act on it, you don't gain that wisdom. All right, so it has wisdom giving power. And then number uh, four this morning is it has eternal power. And we're almost done. These last two aren't quite as long. But listen to what the word of God says in Matthew 24, verse 35. It says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. So Jesus is telling us that everything else on this world, all the other words that's ever been written and all the other things that there are, they're going to pass away. But my words are eternal, meaning they're unending and they never change. Okay? And so we, we live in a society where there are few things that are lasting. We don't, they don't make things the way they used to. I don't know if you guys have picked up on that particularly if you are 50 years old and older, particularly if you were 70 years old and older, and you can remember the cars and the things you used to buy, they'd last you. That's why we still see cars driving up and down Henrietta when they do that cruise and main thing that are 70, 80-year-old cars. Okay, yeah, sure, they've been kept up. But try doing that to a car made today, 70, 80 years from now. They just don't make things that way. Because if they do make them to last, then you won't go spend any money, and they don't make money. So that's, that's part of what they do. They just don't make things. The last, you go buy stuff. It's what used to be a metal part is now a plastic part. Trust me, I know all about that. I've been trying to remodel that house and to go and take something off of this metal and go try to replace it, and the only thing they have is plastic. I'm like, that's not going to last. It won't last. But that's what we do. And, and so we don't live in a society where things really last anymore. And, and because of that, I think that mindset is... is really gotten into a lot of the people in the church, and we've forgotten that God's word's eternal words. This, this is never going to be outdated. No matter how many times and how often our culture tells us that this book is just an antiquated book that's outdated and we've outgrown it. No, because everything else is going to pass away, but this will still remain at the end. This is eternal. God's word's eternal. 
It's settled forever in heaven, according to the book of Psalms. It's been settled in heaven. As a matter of fact, that's what it says in Psalms 119, verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. So God's word is settled, and it is eternal. And what we have today is people, church members and their children, who are so invested in things that don't last, and with very little investment in the things that do last. And I could go into a whole long tangent, but I'm just going to make a statement and move on. Parents, grandparents, don't be surprised when you treat God's word and his church as insignificant and unimportant when, and later in life when your kids treat it as unnecessary. I'm going to restate that one more time and I'm moving on. Don't be surprised if you treat the word of God and his church as insignificant and your children grow up to treat it as unnecessary. That's what I see all the time. Because when children are growing up, we push our kids into lots of things. And I'm speaking from now as a parent, not as a pastor. I guess as a both. But anyway, we push our kids into lots of things, but most of what we really push them towards have no eternal value. But the things that we should be pushing them towards should have eternal value. Because what difference does it make? What, what difference does it make? At the end of their life, if they're such a great whatever, fill in the blank. But they don't have the words of life. Jesus said it like this. What would it profit a man to gain the whole world, yet to lose his soul? And I see a lot of children who are on the verge when they become adults of being the ones that have gained the whole world but have lost their soul because they were never given the eternal value and the eternal power of God's word. Now you say, Brother Dwayne, that's a little harsh. Let me just let statistics speak for themselves. If a student hasn't become a Christian with a faithful walk with Christ by the age of 16, only 5% ever will. If they haven't learned the foundations, solid foundations they need, there's a less than 2 out of 10 chance that they will still be serving God after college. Over 85% walk away after college and never return. That's truth. That's why VBS and children's camp and youth camp and all those ministries that we pour so much money into, that's why they're important. Because statistically, if we don't reach them by 16, there's a really, really high percentage chance that they never will be reached. So let's stop forcing so much non-eternal on our kids and start giving them a little bit of eternal, things that are going to last. And then the last thing is it has revealing power. It has revealing power. In Hebrews 4.12, it talks about this, but... The, one of the verses I, I want to talk more about is actually in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. It says, For all scriptures inspired by God and helpful for teaching, reproof, correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. The word of God reveals what we need to know. The word of God reveals... His love for us, John chapter 3, verse 16. You ever question whether or not God loves you? Read John 3, 16. The word of God reveals the promise of salvation to those who would repent and believe. 
John chapter 1, verse 2. It reveals truth to us. It, it tells us the truth about death and life. It tells us the truth about the afterlife, eternity. It tells us uh, the truth about everything in between. It, it, it tells us what as we as believers need to work on in our lives. It corrects us. It teaches us. It gives us reproof. It trains us for righteousness. It has revealing power. I heard this acronym one time, and it's the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E. You know, we sing that song to kids all the time. The, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Bible, yeah, that, that one. But the B-I-B-L-E, you want to know what that stands for? It's the basic instruction before leaving earth. That's what the Bible is. It's the basic instructions before leaving earth. How is it that? Because it reveals those things to us. It reveals God's instructions about life, about death, about eternity, about him, about righteousness, about how we live, how we shouldn't live. It reveals to us what we need to know. It reveals to us the instructions that God has intends for us to have. 